All right, so this is it. This is the last week. Last week of Esther. We've been doing a series called Brave. Ten weeks in the book of Esther, and today is the day that for ten weeks I have been excited about and dreading all at the same time. Because today, um, you know, we always do a big idea. We try to give you something like, you know, we admit you won't remember half of what I say. So if you can remember this little phrase, and you're good to go. So today is the day when I feel like this pressure um, in a good way to send you out of here, kind of like the whole wrap-up of this book of Esther. Um, if you're kind of getting used to your Bible, that means you want to go to the middle of your Bible, that's probably going to be Psalms, and then two books to the left, Esther. All right, that's where we are. And we're in Esther chapter 10. So let me, uh, just in case, in case somebody's here today for the very first time, your very first, you're just like, Esther, what? Here's the recap, right? Here's what we've learned to this point in Esther. All the way back in chapter 1. We learned that there was a bad king. His name was, bonus points, Xerxes. Good job. I don't know what you win, but congratulations. Um, his name was Xerxes, and we learned that he was a selfish man, full of pride. Um, he literally was, in his day, he was over 127 provinces. He was king of the world, and he carried himself like king of the world, right? Like, what I say goes. Um, we learned that they had this thing called, like, this law of Medes and Persians. So if he said it and they stamped it, it was law. You couldn't change it. I mean, I don't know how you are, but I don't want my words to be law because I say things all the time that I like to take back. But like, they, were, they were legit. Like, you can't change this. So he's, he's so egotistical that he, he throws this party. Remember this? For one entire year, he gets all the military men in the room for one year with an open bar. Uh, that's a lot of testosterone becoming un inhibited, right? Um, that's a lot of stuff going on. And at the end of that year, he says, you know what? That's not good enough. Let's open up to the whole city of Susa for one week and open bar for everybody. So at the end of one year and one week, everybody's smashed. All the military men drunk out of their minds. They've been partying. And then the king says, I got this trophy queen. She's looking good. Her name is Vashti. You got to look good when your name's Vashti, right? It's your, you know, you got to look good. So I got this trophy queen, and I want her to come out, and I want to go get her and bring her in here so she can parade in front of all these drunken military men. Now, some commentators will say, it says in the Bible, to have her wear her crown. Some have said she only wore her crown. Some would say she wore her crown and some more clothes. But I don't care what you're wearing. Nobody's walking out to be disrespected in front of a bunch of drunken military men. And so when, the, when he called for the queen, women, what did the queen say? No. That, that's the way we say it in church. Right? Outside church, we have a word in front of that. Right? Heck no. It's all right? That's what we say. She said, no, I'm not going to do it. So she's off the throne. King doesn't have a queen. King needs a queen. How does an egotistical man who's stuck on himself, who has, everybody's going to serve his needs, how does that king get a new queen? The bachelor of Persia. Exactly, right? So they have this big contest. They get all these virgins together, and all the virgins get one night with the king, and whoever pleases him the most, and you let your mind go wherever you want on that, whoever pleases the king the most becomes the queen, Esther. And we talked about this. We Sunday school this book, right? We read this book and go, there's good people and there's bad people. And the bad people make bad choices and the good people make good choices. But sometimes good people make bad choices. And the king, she, he kind of put Esther in his position. She had, I don't know what she had to choose to do that night, but she had to make some bad choices. She became queen. She's got a cousin named Mordecai who raised her. So here's a girl named Esther whose name means Myrtle. Get that, right? Her name means Myrtle. Like you, parents don't love you when you name your daughter Myrtle, right? Is anybody here named Myrtle? Okay, good. I should have checked that before I made that statement, right? 
Like, as a matter of fact, not only me, but my great aunt and her great aunt before her. It's great having you. There's plenty of churches to pick from. So Myrtle, right? So her, her name's Myrtle. She's got all these strikes against her, but she, she becomes queen. She's Jewish, and her cousin Mordecai says, look, don't tell anybody who you are. Be queen. Don't tell anybody who you are. And so she becomes queen. She's keeping her identity secret. Man, do you, you know people like that? It's kind of blend into culture. I love God, but I don't want to tell anybody. And that's kind of where, that's where we saw Esther go. You know, she didn't always make the best choices. Mordecai didn't make the best choices. Kind of put his cousin in a bad situation. But in that bad situation, and I love this. We've learned this through the book of Esther. God is able to work through even our worst choices. And so here she is. She finds out about this um, man named Haman. Remember Haman? We called him a shark in the water, right? And we said Haman was the kind of man who needed to have a soundtrack. Anybody remember what his soundtrack was? Right, the, the theme from Jaws. So anytime Haman walks in a room, she's like, dun dun because you know something bad's fixing to happen because there's a shark in the water. And we learned this, that we've got sharks in the water, don't we? You work for bosses. You've got coworkers. You've got people in school. You've got people in your life. All they want to do is destroy you. They want to pull you down no matter what God's doing in your life. I mean, you're the kind of person. You could go for two solid months doing everything right for God and just have one day where you mess up, and that shark's going to pull out, and he's going to, like, see, I told you. Like, there's sharks in the water. And so Haman is intent because he hates Mordecai. He finds out that Mordecai's a Jew, and so not only does he want to destroy Mordecai, he wants to wipe out all the Jews, right? So Haman was Hitler before Hitler was Hitler. It's like, let's just wipe out all the Jews. Haman's second in command. So he goes to the king and he says, I got this idea. There's these people that don't like you, but I don't want you to be bothered with that king because I'm on your side. So just, you know, write that law, stamp it with your signet ring, and I'll take care of getting rid of those people. And so not only that, I'll give you a bunch of money. Like, like in the hundreds of millions of dollars in today's money, I'll give that to the king. So the king says... Great idea, because he's all about himself. He's going to get rid of people that don't like him, and he's going to get a bunch of money. So he gives them his signet ring, stamps it. It's a law, can't be reversed. And they decide to have a day that we called the purge, right? It's amazing how many of these movies and TV shows are in this book. So they have this purge where on this one day, you can kill as many Jews as you want to. So Esther realizes that she's a Jew. Her people are going to be killed. She might be killed as well. Mordecai realizes it, and they're really smart Christians, so they suddenly realize maybe now's a good time to tell the king who we really are. And so in Esther chapter 4, she wrestles with that. She finds says, remember how we, we've watched Esther grow? She starts out at the beginning of the book a little afraid to say who she really is. And at the end of Esther chapter 4, what is she saying? Hey, I'm going to tell the king. I'm going to go unannounced. I'm going to tell the king who I am, what my identity is, and if I perish... I perish. Like, she's totally grown into who she is. And she goes to the king. She tells him who she is. She, she throws another banquet. Another, she, there's always banquets, eating, drinking, all this kind of stuff going on. And she reveals who the real enemy is, and his name was Haman. And we watch this amazing reversal. We serve a God who reverses, doesn't he? Like, remember back in Genesis 50, 20, after Joseph's entire life, he's been sold into slavery, and he's looking at his accusers, and he says to his brothers who try to get rid of him, hey, what you meant for harm, God turned for good. That's the God that we serve. Like, we tell him, what, what are you facing right now? What do you need God to reverse in your life? He's able to do that. And we saw that reversal in Esther. So Haman wants to kill Mordecai. He builds his 75-foot-high gallows, which is not like the Old West. It's like... Really tall thing with this really sharp thing so he could impale his body on it and hang it up there for everybody to see it. He builds that in his backyard. 
Like, you've got weird neighbors, right? But you don't have a neighbor like that. Like, in, like what, what's our neighbor building? Oh, dude, that's like, he's going to impale somebody. That's <laughs> like, that's messed up, right? So he builds it in his backyard to kill Mordecai on, and God reverses all of that. Haman is killed on the very instrument that he wanted to kill Mordecai on. Mordecai gets Haman's job. Mordecai becomes prime minister. Esther becomes, she's already queen, but he, he finds out who she is and says, hey, let's, y'all write a new law. We talked about getting to the source of culture so you, so you can change the course of culture. He, they moved upstream. They're in a position where the king said, write a new law. And so they wrote a new law and said, look, on the purge, when all the people attack the Jews, the Jews can also attack them. They can protect themselves. And last week we talked about that, Esther chapter 9. That even though we are in positions that God has placed us, even though good things are going to happen through us, even though we could sit back and go, well, that was a great story, there's still a fight to fight. I mean, you ever see that in your life? Like God's doing amazing things, but there's still things to fight against. We can't just sit back and say, well, the church has got it great. The world's going to go to hell in a handbasket, but we're good, right? There's a fight to fight. And so we saw that last week. It's just that we fight differently, don't we, than the world. We fight with courage. We fight with humility. We fight unselfishly. We fight from victory, not for victory. And all that gets us to Esther chapter 10. And so we're going to read, I'm going to read these last three verses, make a couple observations, and we're going to watch a video. Everybody say amen. amen. I've never even said that to y'all before. It was awesome how you said it. amen. That's fantastic. Here we go. All right, Esther chapter 10. King Xerxes, that's the bad king, imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. In all his acts of power and might, together with the full of kind of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king had raised him, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of, Mer- of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Let me just say this as we start to wrap these last few verses up. Let me talk about the Disney lie, okay? What in the heck's the Disney lie? I, I love how honest the Bible is. And, and maybe you've never felt this way, but I love, as I'm studying this last, these last few verses, it suddenly dawned on me, think about all we just wrapped, we just wrapped up from Esther, like all the, the movements, ups and downs, the epic turns and twists. A lot of good has happened, hasn't it? I mean, would we say at the end of this that Esther and Mordecai are in a good place? They're in a good place. Second, third, and commanding the country, they're in a great spot. But you know what I noticed? We started the book with a bad king, and we're ending the book with a bad king. Like, sometimes I think we, we don't want to have any limitations, right? We live in this Disney culture. We kind of bought this lie that... No matter what happens, if I just work hard enough, hang in there long enough, at some point I'm going to break through. I'm going to have no limits. I'm going to be, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want, and like the world's going to be great. I'm going, to, I'm going to see kids on the street, and they're going to hand me candy, right? Like we're just convinced it's going to be perfect, and, and that's not real life. Have you ever noticed that you always face limits? Don't we always face limits? And here's, here's Esther and Mordecai at the end of an amazing story, and they still have a limit. His name is, is Xerxes. Look, look, at this, look at this king, same king. He was all about himself in chapter 1, and so here it says, King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire. Now, you read that and go, what a nice guy. Like, he gave tribute to everybody. 
Tribute means he taxed everybody. Like, I don't like tributes, right? He made everybody pay more taxes at the end. And why did he do that? Because remember the blood money that Haman was going to give him? Like, he didn't get that blood money, did he? Because Haman's dead. There's no blood money. He didn't get any money from the Jews. And so what does he do to get his money? He taxes everybody. Same bad king that we saw at the beginning. He's still just as egotistical. I love this. All of his acts of power and might were recorded in his book. Even the stuff that happened in Mordecai, they made sure to include this, to which the king had raised him. He's still about himself. And what you need to see is this. Sometimes we come to church, we think, hey, man, Paul, preach me the gospel message. And do it in such a way that my world will just poof, change. And then you walk out and go to, church, go to work tomorrow and you got the same boss, right? Like the same people that drove you crazy on Saturday are driving crazy on Monday. And the temptation is to go, well, I guess, I, I guess church doesn't work. I guess, I guess Paul's not that good of a preacher. I, I guess Christianity isn't really worth my time. Because we've bought that Disney lie. That somehow there's this life without limitations, but it's not true. You're always going to face limitations. They faced a limitation. His name is Xerxes. Some of the limitations that we face. What are some of our limitations? We face sin. We face our inabilities. Some of us, man, our limitations are past. Things that we just can't seem to get past. And because we face limitations, we start to ask this question, so what? You ever ask, I mean, don't nod your head now because they'll be like, ooh. You ever ask, like, what's the point? I can say this honestly. Like, when and I have been in ministry long enough, we've been on staff at churches that we got in the car after church and said, what are we doing? What's the point? We're trying so hard. We face the same limitations. What's the point? And, and let me say this. Limitations frustrate us for only one reason. And you're going to hate it, but it's true. Limitations frustrate us because we think we're on the throne of our lives. When we feel like we're God, when we rule our own lives, limitations frustrate us. And here's why. Because if we could, we'd get rid of them. And because we can't, we're like, what do I do now? What what did we learn the very first Sunday we talked about Esther? All the way back in Esther chapter 1. We learned that bad kings make bad decisions, right? And those bad decisions hurt people. And that sounds so good when we're talking about those people. But the truth of the matter is we make bad kings. We sit on the throne of our lives, and we make bad choices all the time. And so to be brave, we got to stage a coup, right? we got to kick the king off the throne, but that's us. And when we sit on the throne and we can't stop and fix these limitations, they frustrate the hound out of us. We've got to stop trying to think that we're God. It's so easy to feel, so what? But what we've seen in Esther is this. A powerful, sovereign, limitless God is not limited by what limits us. Here are just some of the things that limited Esther. She was an orphan. She was poor. We already saw her name was, was Myrtle. They were Jews. He was forgotten. Remember when he stopped the assassination attempt? Like he saved the king, and the king was like, eh, He was misunderstood. He was conspired against. Depending on where you are, women, where you've been in your past, this will resonate with you. She was more property than person. And she's queen. She's queen to a king who would see her once a month. She's not valued. 
He was a day, Mordecai was a day from death, and she was months from death. Imminent death. And they get through all of that. They rise almost to the top. And that bad king is still there. What do we do with limitations? I'm going to show you an example in in Scripture. I'm going to show you an example from real life today. What do we do with limitations? In the Bible back in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, you can just jot it down in your note sheet. You don't have to turn there. There's a man named Moses, and God called him to do something amazing. God said this. He said, hey, Moses, my people, I need you to go set them free. I need you to go to Pharaoh, and I need you to talk to him, and I need you to tell him to let my people go. And so Moses had two responses. One, he didn't say it, but it was true about his past. He's like, uh, well, first off, I'm a murderer. I killed, I've killed somebody before. I'm a murderer. I'm not sure if that makes me able to be used by you. And then the second one he did say to God, he said, I also, I stutter. I, I don't speak well. I'm not, he, he called it, I'm not eloquent of speech, which is pretty eloquent for somebody to say that can't speak, right? Like this, it's pretty, pretty big vocab words. I don't even know what they mean, but that's pretty good, right? Sorry you're struggling with speaking. He stuttered. He's a murderer and he's a stutterer. What do we do with murderers and stutterers? What do we do when, when we're so focused on what limits us that we can't see the limitless God who can work through those limits? And what I love about, about that story with God is, and Moses, God just asked him one question. Hey, Moses, what's in your hand? What you got in your hand? Listen, we're so focused on what we don't have that we forget to think about what we do have. Like, what's in your hand? Moses is like, uh, I, I got a stick. God says, give me that stick, and I'll transform it, give it back to you. What you have may be more powerful than what you, than what you think it is. Moses understood this, it's a, it's a cliche, we use it in church all the time, you've probably heard it before, but it's a cliche because it's true, right? Moses understood this, that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That's the God that we serve. He doesn't call the qualified, he's not waiting on you to work your life out, he's not waiting on us to be perfect before he can use us, he calls us and then he qualifies us. And Moses understood that. Like, what do you got in your hand, man? Just what do you have? I can use that. Esther and Mordecai, they realize that too. They see that in, in, in their story. In Esther, we see that. They work through all this stuff. It's, it's not a story about what they could do. It's a story about what God could do through them. We have to walk away from this, this story of Esther going, man, I don't know if I got what it takes, but I serve a God who is more powerful than the things that limit me. They understood this. This is your big idea for today, but I think it's the big idea for the whole, the whole book. God's qualification of you is more powerful than any limitation on you. God's qualification of you is more powerful than any limitation on you. That's what I want you to take that away from, from 10 weeks in Esther. It's, it's not about us seeing ourselves differently as much as it's about seeing God differently. Our limits may not go away, but they will never get in God's way. It's as simple as this. It requires us giving our limitations to God and saying, be sovereign even in this situation. 
what could happen in your life if the very things that limit you from giving everything you have to God, instead of trying to hide those from God until you get them worked out, I'm not going to get in a community group until I'm more perfect. What if you actually brought those limitations and just said, this is what's in my hand, God, here. Be you. Do something amazing. What could happen? What could happen? I already know the answer. But you're going to watch it. So a couple of months back when we first started this series in Esther, I ran across this video online. And I was like, that's it, right? Like, that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're wrapping the whole thing up. You know, like, we're going to show this video, and they're going to, so there's a lot of pressure on you to get this, right? You have to get this, because if you don't, I just totally failed. But it's okay, because God's qualification of me is, anyway. What, so we're going to watch this. It's, it's about eight minutes long. It's, it's fairly long. It comes from, um, from a show that you've probably seen on, on television um, I think it makes all the sense in the world just about how God's able to take what we have and do something awesome with it. And I'll come back up when we're done. I want you to close your eyes as I wrap this up. Forget about America's Got Talent. Forget about the best our culture can offer, hey, work harder, try harder, we'll put you through on merit, whatever. And listen to what God did. You'll never hear a preacher say this phrase, but at the cross, the gospel is this. At the cross, God punched the golden buzzer for you. Listen, Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a, sincere, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled not with golden confetti, but with the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Be brave, church. Listen, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Is this not the gospel that we've seen in the book of Esther? That here's a girl who's an orphan, who's a Jew, who has no shot, except that she she brought those limitations to her God, and her God positioned her as far upstream as possible to make a difference in that culture? Is this not what the gospel played out? We've seen it in Esther and the Jews who faced extermination and instead had a celebration. And listen, at the cross, God faced mine and yours, our greatest limitation, head on, it's sin. Our greatest limitation is that we want to control our own lives. He faced it head on. And pushed the golden buzzer, gave us access to a king. Is this not the story of Esther? The key to breaking through your limitations is not trying to see yourself as limitless. I'm going to say it again because I'm telling you. That lie has permeated the American church. That we should somehow, if we could see ourselves as limitless... That's not the gospel. The, the key is not seeing yourself as limitless. The key is seeing that you serve a God who is. 
And He can place you anywhere He wants in order to bring life to others through you. And He he calls you. He qualifies you. In spite of who you are, in spite of who I am, the cross highlights the mess that we made, but highlights more the grace that God gives. This is the gospel. This is the story of Jesus in Esther. God's qualification of you is more powerful than any limitation on you.